Hello and welcome to Northwestify, the technology and digital sector podcast for Manchester and the Northwest. In with me as ever is Zach Giorgio, my co-host. Welcome, Zach. Hi. Hi. And also got our wonderful, fantastic Denise, our producer. Today in the studio, we have Dan Sodegrin. Uh, you may know him from his regular appearance on TV and radio, commenting on technology and the future of work. Hello, Dan. Hello. So, um, Hi, Dan. Lovely to be here. Do you, you wear many hats. That's fair, isn't it? I don't think it's, you're not a one hat kind of guy. I, if, only, if, only my, uh, if only I could wear hats. There's a funny story about that. I, I can't wear hats because of my hair being so big and my head being so big to fit all my <laughs> wonderful brains in. Uh, not, not true, it's just I have a very large cranium. Uh, I, I actually have to sign a disclaimer when going horse riding, which I've only done twice, um, because they can't have a hat that's big enough to fit me. So not so many So hats. you don't wear any hats. I wear no hats. But <laughs> I have lots of different <laughs> jobs and titles. And job titles, <laughs> metaphorical hats, you have a plenty. Absolutely. And there's one of those that I'm uh, quite interested in, which is Flock. Um, yeah, yeah, future yeah. works. Do you want to tell us a bit about what that is and how you got involved in it? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty lucky because I'm, I say I'm pretty lucky because I'm old, but uh, that's a weird thing to say, but I am quite old. I'm 43 now, so I've been lucky to be in the tech world for about 20 or so years. And um, about eight years ago, I tried to build something which was similar to Flock, tried to build that with MMU, a little bit ahead of my time. And uh, before algorithms were algorithms, and the AI was a thing that, you know, was all the thing of a madman's yeah. dream. But we tried to build it with a, an algorithm with MMU. It didn't really work out. It kind of stumbled. They wanted uh, 70% of the company. And I said, no, thank you, and goodbye. So we left that there. Um, and then, lo and behold, a couple of years ago, I bumped into, uh, bumped into Miguel um, at a tech, well, I think it was a tech networking event, and he told me what he was doing with Flock. And I was like, my goodness. I was actually called Macaulay at the time. Yeah. And uh, I was like, my God, I tried to build that. That's awesome. And he, then he told me all the background, you know, all these done and the work behind it. And I was like, well, can I invest? And at the time, I had a little bit of spare cash, so I invested. Uh, and so that's, and that's how we started working together. So Flocks, the idea of Flock is how you map out a culture of a company. And you can do that through values. And of course, I'm, well, not of course, but as somebody who's into the future of work and into tech startups building, one of the hardest things you do when you've got a small team is getting the culture right from day one. Um, and it's really hard to do. And, and I'd failed several times in, in building tech companies because the culture wasn't right and the people had left. So as soon as Mikel told me there's a, there's a scientific way of building culture and looking at the value map beforehand, I mean, you know, and I actually used it on my own company when I recruited, when I almost recruited someone and the flock system went, whoop, 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 don't recruit this person. And they're absolutely right. It was a friend of mine. And after a couple of months later, he was very clear that actually if I had recruited him, it would have been a terrible mix up, but I'd known him for years. So I thought I knew him and I went on my hunch and the whole point of Flock is actually not to go on your hunch when you're recruiting and not to you know, not do all that stuff, but actually look behind the scenes. So that's why I invested and, uh, yeah, could have uh, saved myself thousands of pounds because I did. So really, we've talked a lot on this show about culture and really what we've always said is it is about gut and what you think you know. And um, it's... Well, and it's a tech podcast and we've never really looked at it from the tech oh, point okay. of view. So it's funny how this is now coming to bear uh, upon us. But, but it works for small companies. It's not, you don't need like millions or no, thousands no, of I, employees I, to get if, the data. If I'm completely frank about it, I invested to make it for small companies because it's literally okay. going to scratch my own itch, so to speak, or to deal with the situation I had. But actually, it's much better in much bigger companies. Yeah. It's actually much, much better because, of course, the data pot's much bigger. And, of course, the, you can see how teams work versus teams rather than individuals versus individuals. And so it's actually much better when in a much data-rich environment. So yeah. the bigger the company, the better the results. But actually, it's done on the individuals. So you can say, well, looking at, you know, Brian, Brian said these are the values that he has. Actually, don't employ him or don't recruit him to this team because he wouldn't work in that environment. And it's worked brilliantly well with, I won't say some of the names of the companies, but, um, you know, with lawyers especially, when they kind of recruit someone to become a partner, we actually highlighted a couple of issues in a couple of companies. And, you know, if they'd followed the advice of Flock, they would have saved hundreds of thousands of pounds. 
because when you lose the partner in a law firm, you lose lots of money. Right. And you'll know in recruitment that you know the, the bad hire moment is 300 times the salary or whatever. <laughs> absolutely, the, the percentages. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think yeah. it's 300. So and it's the seat they take up as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the, the deeper issue is the lost moment of lost time. That's exactly. Right. Don't worry about the money. Is you know what could you have done with a better team? And that's the thing, especially in yeah. tech startups. But yes, it's a, it's a it's a passion of mine. And so. Is there a lot of competition in, is the HR tech, is that what we call this? Yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, HR tech is, is a booming industry. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. And there are lots and lots of different competition people out there. And I won't mention their names, of course. Good, no. Uh, no, no, why would I? I'm no, investing no. in this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite like, long, but I remember. <laughs> if, you just, if you've just tuned in, there is only one company in the HR tech space, which is called Flog. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the that's for the record, yeah. And I think much. we can update Wikipedia with that statement. <laughs> And no please, one, do, uh, please do, please do, please do. Then it won't have come from you. So um, looking at your other metaphorical hats, mm-hmm. um, obviously you're very into tech. Uh, you've been to CES 2020. Have you just been there? Or are you just... Uh, yeah, well, I was also lucky enough. I went to, um, there's another one that's been a little bit less well-known, but the Huawei one that was over in okay. China, which is uh, their kind of personalized version, which is the most exciting thing I've seen. The CES stuff is is okay. And I think Tom Cheeseright was also over there uh, as well. But um I mean, my, my thing about the future of work, and it might sound a bit silly, but, you know, you know, we do get very excited, don't we, about these kind of trade shows. And we have to sometimes understand that the trade show is, is the, it's not even the top bit, if that makes sense. Like, there's so much stuff which is a bit silly, but actually it's the underlying trends which are exciting, if that yeah. makes sense. Not too yeah. geeky, hopefully. Yeah. Um, you know, so, for example, I think there was a thing called the Y-Brush that was over and that was a big thing. And basically, it's a, it's a kind of a motorized gum shield. It costs like 100 quid. Yeah, and it goes in sonic thing. Now that's great, and that's a great a bit of tech, but it's it's nothing. It's like a it's a brain fart. It's nothing, is it? I mean, it's not. It's exciting for some people, like a like an amazing telly might be yeah. exciting for some people. But actually, the future of work and the future of the world isn't necessarily going to be the future of televisions. No, it's like what Netflix are really doing and yeah. what download no, download streaming is doing is the fundamental, isn't it? It's not yeah. the it's four or eight or twenty four k television you're going to watch it through. So I'm always a bit worried about trade show analysis because. That's normally the kind of yeah. frothier, <coughs> yeah. shall we say. Commercialised, yeah. uh, consumable product. That's the better way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it's like, so what did you see at Huawei then? Was there anything at that event that was future of work that I, made you... Yeah, the stuff that they're doing ahead in China is mind-blowing, you know, literally mind-blowing. And that's the Huawei, you all remember, I think in the press at the moment, uh, depending on when this comes out, but there's a lot of hoo-ha about Huawei and, and other folk, yeah? Now, we've got to remember this is the same as being concerned about who built the roads, it's like, it, it's that silly. It's like, you know, it's not the road you should be looking at. It's the person who's driving the car. Uh, you know, and they don't get wrong. Huawei are looking to own the car as well and the driver of the car because that'd be AI. So their plans are intense and huge. But the actual reality is Huawei, there's only two providers of 5G and half of 4G stuff anyway. There's only two, yeah. maybe three tops. And one of them's going under. So, you know, this is political wrangling. This is, you know, cyber, this is just cyber rattling. It's just yeah. silly. It's got nothing to do with reality or technology at all. You know, if you're going to moan about Huawei <laughs> stuff or Chinese manufacturers, you've missed it by 30 years. Yeah, 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 <laughs> They've yeah, yeah, been yeah. making it forever. That's how they do it. And uh, rightly so. They, we asked them to build all this stuff and then they did. And now we're saying, oh, be careful of them building the stuff. Is it yes. not just a threat to the actual <laughs> Western powers of... <clears throat> If the Chinese were meant to be listening to us, and they would have been doing it for years, and that, that's it's all they have good. done. That's why they've got all this great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we asked them to manufacture it, and then we, and then we, we were we were astounded when they actually did it themselves. How dare you? Um, we've been making these chips for twenty years. Yeah, but you can't make them for yourself. All right, we won't. You know, come on. I think they might do. Uh, you know, so we've got to be careful with uh, with words of that one. Of course, we're not implying in any way 
that uh, they stole any IP. Uh, that's that's something we could be suitable. Um, but, but but you know, but at the same time, it's quite tricky for them not to. Of even if they just had it by osmosis, they've been building these chips, and all they've done is make them better. So, so the Huawei thing, there's a thing they've got called the Atlas Nine Thousand over there, which is when you look at what we're trying to do in England at the moment with 5G and with smart cities and all this stuff we're doing over at the landing in Media City and all these clever accelerators, we are five years behind the Chinese. Yeah, so, so our idea yeah. of what a smart city might be has been Shanghai for X amount of years. Yeah. yeah. So they're not saying, what will we do when we've got facial recognition cameras on every street? What they're actually saying is, well, did you know, Dan, that three years ago, it's a great example, they had um, massive crime problems with people stealing handbags off uh, people's shoulders, uh, riding a motorbike and just nicking the bag. Yeah, I can imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I won't tell the terrible joke about, but at least the bag was copied there. No, it's not a terrible joke. But that's a plan. Anyway, so anyway, it's still, it's still a crime that's happened. Yeah, so there you go. So this is quite a big thing. So, it, so literally people were being scared about going out, so they wouldn't do it. However, they've got all the facial recognition cameras over there. They've got all this bit of technology. So they said to the AI system, can you predict when this crime's going to happen? Yeah, so this machine now looks, this is what the smart cities now do. They predict, they literally predict when the crime's going to happen. They don't look at it after it's happened and then find them. They predict what you are going to do because of the way you're riding the bike. How many people are on the thing, you know, all those. Right, that's, that, that's pretty cool, yeah, because you can then think, okay, pre-cog kind of system. But this is already happening. It's not the future. Yeah. It's happening now, run by a massive thing called Atlas 9000. Um, and <laughs> the crime now, that crime now is down by 98%. That's because well, people ref- people refuse. I mean, people aren't stupid enough to do it because you will be caught. So it, how you have to be desperate. So how do, do they catch them? Like this is thought crime, basically at this point, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. It, well, they think about it. So if you are going to do that crime, you must surely come from a certain place, leave at a certain time. You're going to have a certain kind of bike. You're going to do certain actions when you're ziggy zagging yeah. around. You're going to have a friend of yours on the back. He'll do the stealing. There's lots of different stuff that you can predict. This is the scarier thing. They then then put the police in the right place. So right. after you've done the crime. Okay, so that's how it works. Yeah, I understand how I suppose wow. that up to that point, but yeah, that's the so clincher. Think well, think about what the, what the real clincher is, is they'll have to think five minutes ahead of it. Yeah. So, you know, they will go, okay, you're 67% likely because of what you've done to maybe do it in the next street. Therefore, we'll put a police person there. Up, you know what I mean? That's yeah. insane. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, and network been, Rail can't even get our trains on time. <laughs> exactly. Do exactly. We have a deeper issue. <laughs> <laughs> Do not even start about the rail system. <laughs> Good trigger point. Absolutely. And another thing. You know, we're, we're literally, HS2, will it work? Will it not? I mean, come on. We've got bigger things to think about. Uh, so, yes, there's a, there's a whole tech world out there. And I know there's a classic saying about the future's everywhere. It's just unevenly distributed. So I won't be as cliche to say that. But let's be honest. Sometimes we are a little bit thin thinking about things we look at what's happening in the northwest well actually look at yeah. the future it's it's already happening over there you just got to transplant it over here um and uh, you know uh, ces is a good example of uh, a kind of slightly western viewpoint about what's going to happen in the future yeah, yeah my father-in-law was working as he's in the engineering uh, business and he this is going back 40 50 years and at that time yeah about that long and he went to the u.s to see what they were doing with engineering practices and brought that to here because there was no internet so if you actually went there and looked at it <laughs> yeah, and saw it with your own eyes you had some IP that nobody else had right you had an edge yeah, and you absolutely. did and they were doing things in their business that nobody else was doing and that's manufacturing in and that was actually in Manchester but it's you know we're, we're struggling as a manufacturing nation really but I think our, where we our strengths could lie is in all this is tech and yeah, IP well, and, and we're kind of hoping so, aren't we? That you know, certainly yeah. with Manchester's great background in creative thinking, in the digital industries, and all these things, and in actually the, it's actually the culture, isn't it? It's actually a deeper point. Yeah. So the reason why Manchester and other areas are made potentially great at this 
it might be nothing to do with technology, if that makes sense. Technology just becomes a trigger point and an enabler. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that we can get 5G and Vodafone have done that in Media City, awesome. But you have to have the startups who are who are prepared to innovate in that world to then make that a proposition that actually makes sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So you have to have your, your innovators like Chris Gurin, that's done Explore over there with the VR stuff. That was the first thing to run on the commercial 5G network was a, a VR kit that had zero latency. So when you did your training, no one felt sick because there, there was no latency behind it, which is which is... If you're into geeky stuff, that's pretty geeky and pretty cool. Um, that's now happening in other places in the country, but it happened here first. Yeah. Now we we don't as we know Manchester is very good at some first, and so is the north of England. But we're not necessarily great at everything. No. And why do you, why do you think Manchester has stolen a march on a lot of the other northern cities? We've talked on the show about the airport, etc. Yeah. However, do you think the university's got a massive? Oh God, yeah. I mean, I think if you don't look at the irony being in the kind of Oh, and just a big sigh, of course, when he says post-Brexit, because, of course, it's going to be post-Brexit. So if you look at that world, the irony being is actually diversity and the inclusive nature of Manchester and Liverpool has actually been one of our biggest, strongest points. You know, that's that's the thing. So universities are always an enabler of that because international students are so important here. But you look at look over in America, you look at the tech startups, you know, is it something like half of them are second-generation immigrants? You know, it, you know, that's where innovation tends to come from. It doesn't come from a much more stable and been here for 10 generations type person because actually that person doesn't tend to innovate doesn't tend to need to why though why do you think that is because they're really happy and they're fed and then life's easy yeah exactly why (laughs) first world problems precisely i need a bigger telly yeah they need a bigger telly exactly or a vibrating toothbrush or i need to get my uber but they don't make uber you know (laughs) i just need to scroll till i find Uber because someone has already made it i think when you arrive with nothing and you have to create then yep. you will yeah. always innovate. Yep. If, you, if you have it, or you think you have it, or even if you don't have it, <laughs> yeah. you know, the fact is, is when you come, as we say, with nothing, you yeah, have yeah. to move forward. It's yeah. the only way. Yeah, but also I think that's one of the strong points of Manchester, again, as I think it has, and again, we've got to be careful because if people from, from Birmingham are listening, they're going to say they're the second city. You're not, by the way. You're not the second council. <laughs> you're not. Well, you are in numbers, but that's all. Um, so, so from a Manchester point of view, I think we have a lot of people that, that either stayed here or also were in London for a bit and then came back. You know, we have that kind of second capital kind of feel about us. But also if you look at around the world, and this gets a bit geeky again, but look at where innovation really happens. It doesn't tend to happen in the capital. Yeah, so you look around in America, it's not yeah. the capital. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. France is a bit of an anomaly, in Germany is a bit of an anomaly, but that's, that's part of it. But you know, other places, it's not the capital. It's always somewhere away from it. So I think we are the, you know, you've got New York and you've got Washington DC, you've got these places, Silicon Valley, we are the, you know, the Silicon Valley type yeah. of that. Well, you've got it in, even, even in the South, Cambridge is a fantastic city for that exact point, isn't it? You yeah. know, if you take Cambridge and the amount of business that is actually in Cambridge, compared to London from an innovation perspective and Ooh. advanced manufacturing, et cetera, yes. et cetera, et cetera. And et cetera. AI stuff. But then we look at the universities. So that they yeah. are so great because of the universities they've got. But also because of the, um, I've got to be careful words here because I've, a lot of friends have come from Cambridge areas and a lot of people have been very successful, but they have that golden triangle factor. So they have tremendous amounts of investment. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so we can't you know, negate yeah, the fact that yeah. money makes a big difference. So if you yeah. are from Cambridge and you've got a mad scheme, you are likely to have the cultural capital to then have not only, I mean by cultural capital, not just the finance, but knowing the people with the finance 
and knowing how to talk to investors and all these other things that people don't always tend to think about. Um, and it's those bit that actually makes a huge difference to you. So you can get your chance of failing quite a few times, which is what you need to have in technology, because yeah. technology is quite expensive. You need to be able to recruit people and all sorts of stuff. You'll find that you know that rich environment is not just the fact they're really clever. That's kind of where I'm trying to go with this one. It's not just the universities. It's actually a much deeper thing. And they have so much more access to finance than we do in Manchester. I mean, it's... So you, need, so you need the money, but not too much. <laughs> you don't need as much as the capital. You just need a little bit less than the capital and you'll be doing fine. So can we, and you need universities and you need that diversity of thoughts. So can we do it in other cities? Can, can somewhere else emulate what Manchester we, you know, and Liverpool are doing? Are they already them. doing it? I don't want them to. Why would I want them to do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no but if, there was, if you could sell the blueprint and you don't want to. Well, I mean, okay, there's a couple of bit and you've got to, it depends if you know the kind of background in, in Manchester and certainly in Media City as well. So we are very lucky with Media City because there was actually something that happened behind the scenes in, in Greater Manchester, which was a very large company that was going to be based here and they were going to arrive. And so politically and other things, we moved a lot of pieces around. So when they did arrive, we could feed the mothership. A lot of people don't know this. So whether I should be talking about it now, I don't know. But there we go. Haven't said the name, so it's fine. So, so there's a lot of bits of Manchester that actually we, we had because of the political buy-in, because of that massive money that was going to come, yeah, because of the, the plan. So there's a 10 or 20-year plan. Now, we don't necessarily have that over in Leeds. It doesn't mean they don't have the capability for that. It doesn't mean they don't have the political capability. It doesn't mean they don't have the, the universities for that. It's just we were really lucky in Manchester. Like, also, like we've got things like Manchester City and Manchester United. Yeah. Now, yeah. is that luck? Did we design it? No, I think it's something that's inherent, you know, ever since being a child, you know, okay, Manchester City uh, are... Uh, Be careful on words here, they are a great team. They're a great team now. You might need to edit out the next... We were terrible forever. We were terrible forever. But, you know, for many years, you know, wherever you went in the world and they said to you, where do you come from? And you said Manchester and they went, I know Manchester United, didn't they? They did. That's what they did. They knew George Best, they knew Dennis Law, they knew all these... Bobby Charlton, amazing players and stuff like that. And, you know, I think going back to the point that you're making and Manchester being like, it was always a cool city, isn't it? And, like, if you even take the textile industry, you know, some of the buildings, you can't catch your breath. If you walk around Manchester today and you look at some of those buildings and then you go and book a city break to go somewhere, when you walk around that city, you go, oh, isn't that amazing building? We've got some of the most oh, beautiful buildings Absolutely. in the whole of the yeah. world sat just on our doorstep. Yeah, yeah. Always look up, man. Always look up. Exactly. Because it's that's, that's stunning. Now, because that's luck. Now, I get really geeky about history of things, but if you think of... You know, let's be honest, it's really, it's quite wet up here and we had things like canals and we could get very silly about the canal conversation because <laughs> people from Liverpool are going to get very cross if they have a history of this, so that's fine. <laughs> but the point is, I'm sorry we stole your water. It wasn't my fault. I wasn't there. Okay. Right. So, but we had this water, yeah, we had that. And we had Liverpool as the port place, hence we've got Peel and other people that own these bits of land. Yeah, that's, that's what happened. So, so all these things have happened and it's been through luck. Yeah, but Manchester's become this great thing. Now you think about the textile trade. Well, actually, yeah. again... That was because you could most surely weave it and do stuff because we had the water. We also had the link to Liverpool, which brought the stuff in from over there. And it's the same thing with like the American culture. That came yeah. from into Liverpool. That's why Liverpool's even cooler than Manchester. But why uh, is it not as successful? Well, it might be because it's too cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'd, I'd, it's really start tech companies. They're too busy being cool. I don't know. I've no idea. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in Manchester. So for me personally, I remember those textile mills and I remember those buildings and I remember how beautiful they are and they still are mm. and I like the fact that they, you know the whole history behind it what I love is the fact that we did take a st we stole the march and all the rest of them 
you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you could argue that there's still probably, when they talk about the Northern Powerhouse, and we talked about this how many times, Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester, and yet I still think that there's this little element of, and maybe it's football related, I'm not too sure, but actually there's still this, Manchester's the best, Manchester's the coolest. That's just football, definitely. Just, it's just you thinking football, mate, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, so you got your football brain on. <laughs> but we, we also know, and I'm not good at because I get a bit crossed by people who start waxing lyrical about the past too much because I think actually Manchester is the future, which is the exciting bit, not necessarily the Hacienda past and all this other stuff. Yeah. But that did exist. So, you know, so we became a mecca for the kind of more, not even having gone, but, you know, cooler folk that came here to university most probably did so because of dance culture and all sorts of different stuff yeah which you know i didn't go to hasi oh, i went a couple of times so anyway <laughs> the point being is that i can't still talk about it. now of course we then had fashion labels that came out at the top of that as we know but however what's more exciting i think is the fact we now have boohoo and other folk like that here that's more exciting to me personally because it's tech and that's the future now you can say that's the past and it's built on the past but actually it's the future but what's so cool about that dan for me is the fact that that heritage remains. So yeah. textiles from 20 odd years ago, textile mills and so on. We've now got, like you say, boohoo, pretty little thing. You can argue some of the other, but I saw it first, misguided, etc. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, boohoo and pretty little thing are just ripping just, it up. Just, it's incredible what they're doing. But, but, but that's the great thing about it, isn't it? Is are they fashion labels or are they tech companies? And this is the bit that I get excited by is the fact that actually, it's a bit like ASOS. It wasn't, you know, they were just brilliant SEO. You know, that it wasn't necessarily anything except they were very good at tech. And that's the bit where I think it's that's that's the cultural bit. So I imagine there's been and I don't know the companies well, I imagine there's are new leaders in those companies that are very tech focused or, or have the culture of understanding technology. Yeah. Which is why they've taken the march and managed to smash it. I think the I think like you say, and I think that's what's interesting, they are tech businesses. Yeah. Their product <laughs> is yeah. Fashion. Yeah, that's, like it. It, well, it's like the Hut Group, you know, like the Hut Group, and whether you like them or don't like them, the Hut Group are in everything, and they sell everything because they're amazing at what they do. Yeah. But it isn't, it isn't making vitamin shakes or whatever. Yeah. I'm sure they do that as well. There's like 84 different things they do. There's a million now. <laughs> but the point is, they can just pick a vertical. Well, guess what? Because we know everything about it. We know all the keywords and all the digital marketing. So they're a great example of of digital transformation. And actually, bizarrely enough, you talked about manufacturing before. They are a great example of just-in-time manufacturing. They are a great example of this new way of advanced manufacturing. They're just not in the way you think it. They don't make widgets. Yeah. But they, the quick turnaround that company has, I mean, we use, they use the, I'm sure they won't mind us saying, we, they use the usability uh, tests at the landing to make sure their websites are perfect and they build them very quickly. Yeah. But they use stuff that other people don't. You know, like the usability labs and other stuff we have there, not everyone uses, but the people who do use it, like the agencies that use it, they get a march on everyone else because they are doing something which is different to everyone else. Yeah. You know, not other people are investing 10 grand in the usability of a website, but they know the most important thing is the usability of the website before the product. Because actually, you that's, can sell anything. Yeah. That's where people leave your side. The, the, number, the data around the milliseconds of performance is Shocking, shocking, like yeah. yeah. If your page takes two seconds, you oh, you're off. Leave, well, and we're exactly the same though. We know we sit there yeah. with a mobile phone, and we're exactly the same. You know, Correct. Not, you know, we, we moan about the fact that people do it, but we do exactly the same. It's not worse. Yeah, 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 we yeah, work yeah, in the industry. Yeah, yeah, if anything yeah. takes two seconds to load, I'm appalled, and I you know, almost throw my phone away. It's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I, I most probably have an issue actually thinking about that. It's not, it's not a good thing, I'm not thinking. But I mean, that's the thing I was saying before. You know, the technology point actually is the enabler, but actually, it's the culture behind the company that allows you to enable that technology. Yeah. So you so you will embrace digital transformation. So great example of this is in the future of work stuff. You know, a lot of companies aren't embracing remote working. Now that's insane. Yeah. Because that's the future of all work. 
yeah. is remote working. They don't necessarily like that because they're used to having a tight, you know, the office and people come around here and this is what we do. And this, how would you create culture if you didn't have everyone around? You know, that conversation should now not be taking part, but people do it all the time. People are still arguing against remote working or things like, oh, great examples, um, using AI in their job. People still are like, oh, it's going to take my job. That's no, not. It's just going to enable you to do much better work, which is higher paid work. Yeah. You're just going to work less. It's not going to take your job. It's going to take half your horrid work. I'm, I'm going people to aren't up. embracing that. They're saying, oh, no, I'm an accountant, therefore I can't use AI. Dude, that's exactly when you should be using AI. <laughs> yeah. You're an accountant. It must be awful. I'm going to pick you up on that remote work because, we, again, we've had people on the, on the podcast talking about remote work and the balance, I think. And maybe just at the moment we're looking at a balance of remote and in-office work in terms of building culture and building teams and transfer skills and the high bandwidth between the end of, you know, the, the trainer, trainee, or, you know, the mm-hmm. senior and junior developers, as we'd be talking about. So... Are you saying, or are you predicting that we'll, we'll all move to a remote work scenario at, at some point? I don't, or I don't is think it... we all will, because there's always going to be an element of human connection which is needed. I just yeah. don't think that's, that is not the foundations of the future. So if we look at, because of technology being so good, if you look in a world where you have 5G connection speeds, which is the plan, really, mm. I know not everywhere, but that's one of the part of the plans. If you look at things that are really geeky, like how do you actually slice and dice that data allowance, yeah, and all the stuff that you need to have. It's a bit like needing to have roads, yeah? So before we had things like the train lines, we didn't have the concept of holidays. People don't understand this, but you didn't. There was no holidays, it was just factory work, and that's what you did. You didn't really have holidays very much, because you couldn't go anywhere. So you needed the Victorians to build the railways before you actually thought, oh, good Lord, we've got a Tenby. I don't even know if it's got a railway. I don't know. <laughs> My parents forced me to go to Tenby. Went to my car, it's awful. No, it's a lovely place. Sorry, not awful. Just rains a lot. Point being is you didn't have the concepts. That concept wasn't there, yeah? So we, we didn't have the language use and people weren't going on holidays. So you just stay where you were. You'd take time off work, but you wouldn't travel on a train to go somewhere. Does that make sense? But you need the train tracks first, yeah? Yeah. So again, same thing with remote working. I bet actually deep down most people would like to do remote working. But they haven't had the option because actually the technology's not been there. So they've had to travel in. If someone's doing an hour and a half commute, that destroys their life because it's awful. Now, my commute is 14 minutes on my bike and I cycle to, to Media City. And I get grumbly about that because sometimes it rains a lot. But I know people who commute in London for two hours every day. Yeah. Back. That's awful. <laughs> but, but I'm going to say a point that remote work, that what, the, what people are saying they don't want is the remote work that we have now. The home other, (laughs) you know, where where you sit at home and you have no connection with your team and it's just slack, right? Um, What what you're potentially alluding to is the future of work will be different. It won't look like that. There'll be screens, walls, you know, head visors, whatever. We don't know. And that might be something that people would enjoy. You kind of do know because you know that in the future, VR is going to be a thing. AR is going to be a thing. They're not going to go back into the, you know, the genie's not going to go back into the bottle. So I'm, we know how good VR is now. Now it's cost prohibitive at the moment to do that for a work environment. And you most probably wouldn't. But in the future, it won't be. And that's in the next three to five years. You're also thinking, you know, we've got to be careful when we use words because the work environment exists because of, the history of the past, if that makes sense, yeah? So everyone with the water cooler moment exists because of that. However, if you did three or four hours a day and you had friends outside of work, you'd rather see your friends outside of work, yeah? So if your AI system allowed you to only do three hours of work a day, which, by the way, people are doing at the moment, I'm sure, doing remote work. It's a bit like coders <coughs> who don't really code. They just pretend that they just outsource it. And it's, it's, oh, God. <laughs> that was a great story, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, but why not? Because if you think about it, what's your contract with your employer, if you're honest, you produce this work, and therefore I pay you this money. Right, cool, but I can do that anywhere in the world. 
look at something like Buffer, Buffer app, lots of people use Buffer, a social media app. They have a remote workforce of hundreds of people and they come together three or four times a year and they come together all together only once a year and they have a massive party all together. Hmm. Basecamp awesome. do yeah. exactly well, the Basecamp same. Basecamp does exactly the same. Exactly this is the, the future of work. Man. This is the point. This is exciting hmm. stuff. Now, you can argue against it, of course, but if you had the choices, which, who would you want to work for? I, I mean, I think that ultimately where we go in with it is that I think it's going to be a blended approach. I think there's definitely going to be, you know, there's a huge, huge, huge investment. I mean, you know, as my father said 30 years ago, who's going to want to work in town? Who's going to want to, li- who's, who's going to, want to live in town? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what he used yeah. to say to me. Who yeah. wants to live in town? They were selling flats in Asia House next door to my dad's building, which is Manchester House on Princess Street. And they were saying to him, is that you want to invest in some of these flats for like 15 grand? And my dad was looking at me going, no one no wants to live in town. No one to live in town, it'd be awful. Exactly. <laughs> now, everyone wants to live in town. Yep. So I think there's going to definitely be a blended approach. I think if it's not remote working, they'll bring more and more people into the city so it's easy for them to get to commute to because it all just work there. Okay, cool. so, so as a futurist, so, I go a bit further ahead than that bit. Yeah. So I think you're absolutely right for now. But I actually think it's going to be almost the opposite. The places like Oldham and Rochdale and those places actually have a brilliant, unique selling point because you're five minutes away. Like, for example, what is it called? Silicon Ramy, as people are calling it at the moment. <laughs> right. Lord, please stop doing that. But anyway, it's fine. It's good marketing. Um, but, you know, Ramsbottom, yeah? You can see what they say. Silicon okay, Ramy now. Now, now I'm cringing. Don't get started. Right, so, so those bits, actually, because it's so close to all the hills and all this lovely stuff, you know, like um, Michael Palio's stuff with the fresh walks and things, these yeah. are the phenomena now that people want. They want connection points with nature and all these things. Now, if your little town offers that, but you have a great internet connection and you have a great experience in being able to remote work, people will live there. They yeah. won't live in town. Yeah, Your dad yeah. would have been right, but just by 50 years too late or too early. <laughs> so it's could have made swing. some more money along the way, couldn't he? <laughs> could have made a fortune, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, just to touch on, and I made another note, was what was interesting when you mentioned about the accountant not wanting to use, use the tech. I think half the battle in the world is, is more about people embracing change yeah. and taking the chances and going, do you know something? We all do it. This is shit, basically. <laughs> you know, this. Why have they done this new feature? Why have they done this new? Yeah, upgrade? It's, awful, it. it's awful. It's awful. It's yeah. awful. Three days later, you're like, "This is awesome. This is well better <laughs> than what it was." Yeah. You know, um, on most cases. Yeah. <laughs> May I add? But the fact is, sometimes it is about us getting that point across and making sure that we get people to understand that embracing change is so important because ultimately it will make your life more easy and it will help you. And I think the point you mentioned about an accountant not wanting to use AI or, or that particular mm-hmm. area is that that's the point and that's where we need to educate. I think we talked with Chris Marsh a lot about on his podcast about kids and educating them in school mm-hmm. to make sure that we do certain things and they were feeling... If I remember rightly, that it was difficult and so on. I think that's the whole change piece is, is massively important from well, all the way up. Yeah, I mean, it's in, in companies at the moment, I mean, I go into companies and we talk about digital transformation. It's, it's a similar thing, but actually it's about cultures. And actually it's around, I hate to be crueling and pointing fingers, but it's normally around one type of person, which is the middle management. Because middle management know they'll be destroyed because they're the middlemen. They are literally just the middlemen. And they are, by the way... Not like an appendix, because appendix has a reason, but you know, they are literally there because of bad design, because it's not an efficient design system, because technology wasn't there, so you had to have people there. Now they yep. know they're the first people to go. Now luckily for them, they're also the people that can stop it happening. 
So the first thing they say is, oh, no, 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 none of this. Oh, no, that'd be awful. Everyone should arrive at nine o'clock. Everyone needs to leave at five and have remote work. This is a thing of madness. Mad dreams and never do this. It will never take off. Zoom and Slack are in the background and everyone's working through them. But no, remote work, it sounds awful because you're the office manager. What are you going to do? Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> what are you going to do, dude? You're going to have to learn to code or you're going to have to have a skill set which is higher. <laughs> you know, you're not going to want to do that. So you'll find certainly in a lot of public sector organizations that I've worked in and larger organizations, the people is the gatekeepers and everyone else wants to change. The people at the bottom want to change. The people at the top know they have to change. It's the people in the middle that are saying, oh, no, no, thank you. Well, I think it's that whole model of stretch, working yeah, at yeah. stretch or working at comfort zone. You know, I couldn't not work at stretch. It would bore me. If you work at comfort zone, then I just feel like you're going to stagnate and not go anywhere, which is why you're not going to recruit somebody who's more eager and more keen and more wanting to embrace yeah, change because they're going to replace you. Oh, my God, wow, somebody's going to replace me. Shit, It's that whole thing about A's, A's <laughs> recruit A's, but B's recruit C's, isn't it? Is yeah, it? just talking about the same. Did you just say that? Ah, not okay. on the podcast, so it's all right. Oh, right. You were the first to say it. <laughs> yes. The actual I was first to recruit today. That thing. <laughs> um, I'll also give you another little lovely thing I heard yesterday. Um, that the future uh, will belong to the learning, not the learned. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. So if you are not continually learning, then you're in trouble. The, the, the half-life, I don't know how they put this, the half-life of a data scientist knowledge is now 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that in real terms. <laughs> so that's yeah. insane. And that's data science, which has only just started happening. So, you know, think about it in real terms. Before you leave university and before halfway through drinking your first pint, so to speak, you know, some of the stuff you're learning is already out the window, so you have to relearn it. So you have to continually relearn. Now, that's a massive change in every organization. That well, that's a huge be- problem for the universities because the material <laughs> they produce <laughs> is all is already three years old. And this is exactly the problem if- with, with all education points, especially around universities. Don't get me started on universities because they have a fundamental issue around the future of work. And they, of course, are the bastions of change. They're another middle manager. And they're saying, oh, no, no, don't learn on Udemy. Don't learn on Udemy. These things don't have certifications. They Well, they don't cost nine grand. and They're not out of date in 18 months. Hmm. So you know what I mean? So actually, you should be learning through those. But will people recruit you? It's a question for recruiters, of course. Would you recruit based on values and, and aptitude and ability? Or would you say, oh, no, you've got a degree? You know, I've heard from the world of recruitment. Attitude. It's attitude. Every day of the week. And it's values. It? And it's beliefs. And it's those things. That's what you recruit for. You Absolutely. train the rest of them on the job. You so can, where do universities sit then? You can train somebody to be the best person in the world. They can be amazing at doing their job. But if they don't care and they're not interested, does it matter? Absolutely. And also you can even worse. You can be a great technician and then be unable because the, the next bit of the world will be done by people who can collaborate and that can innovate and can think differently and can actually work in teams. They're the people that will do stuff because all the rest of it will be done by computers. Yeah. So if you can be an amazing coder but you can't, you know, literally you don't like people, then your days might be numbered because that bit that you think is amazing code in 18 months, actually, A, it's on GitHub already, but B, because you've already put it there, but B, <laughs> don't put your stuff on GitHub, kids. <laughs> be safe. Yeah, be safe. Yeah, absolutely. Hide your private keys. <laughs> I tell you, the stuff like, what's really more, that's now it's complete uh, madness, but some of the stuff that I'm learning as I get older is the stuff they put on there. It's really dangerous, man, as well. So you think about the, the, the cybersecurity problems of people who use GitHub a lot, now just imagine if you don't really understand what you're putting into something like a, like a car or something, an automated vehicle, but actually you don't know there's a piece of clever software in there that does something else with a logic flaw that means you can break into the system. That's the future. And that's now, by the way. Mm. It's not in the future. That's vulnerabilities, now, yeah. in vulnerabilities in open source, in open, potentially, or even closer. Jesus, don't put it in the cloud. You'd be crazy. This doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Now, 
Huawei and other folk, they've realized all this stuff and they're already saying, don't do that. We won't look at all your stuff at all, but the AI system will. So it depends how much you believe their AI system, because that hmm. AI system, you put your stuff on, um, they have a version of Amazon and AWS. You put your stuff on there and the system will actually go, no, you've written the code wrong and this is what you should put in. Hmm. Now, that's fascinating until you start thinking conspiratorially and it's like, so it changes the code that I put in the, co what, it changes my code base? Yeah, it makes it more efficient. Anything else? No, 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 fine. <laughs> it's, all, no, no, it's all good. It's all good. You just stay there. Apple it's all used fine. to do some things, didn't they? They, um, well, we don't know what Apple do, um, but yeah, I think they, they're, they're when you put your apps up on there, they tested them. But yes. what else they did? They they sniffed through the code and sort of they had to. They had to because of the the problems there. And so I think um, we've got to be careful with uh, with <laughs> what was then with those things. But I think there's a there's a couple of really key uh, kind of takeaways on it. Is that in the future of stuff that we're going to be doing, you've got to really look at the it's the values and it's the belief systems of the person that you're hiring rather than their ability to code. It's not necessarily the technical abilities. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a blog about it, so just basically just don't be a dick at work. Which I think is, which is a key Another theme on the show. It's so funny. It's almost like a Karen thing. But you know, but you'd be surprised. Like, like you know, nineteen eighties and other folk who are now middle managers and maybe higher. You know, they think it's okay to do that now. You know, and we say things like millennials. I mean, it's heart is three quarters of the population. It's ridiculous. But the whole point is, is that actually nicer people now are being recruited, and nice people care about working with nice people. So just because you're the boss, don't be a dick at work because you're going to lose everyone. Yeah. But the thing is, if you don't, if you think you're the dick, then you, don't, <laughs> you start looking at yourself. Yeah. You know, it's the old classic, you know, smelly friend thing. You know, if you're, you know, if you can't, you know, it's you. If you can't smell anywhere else, you know, it's that kind of thing. So be careful. Be, don't be a dick at work. Yeah. We'll edit that bit out. I said dick a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've nearly run out of time. But um, before we finish up, Dan, if there's any, um, if you've got any wise words of wisdom or any uh, looks, look, things to look out for in the year ahead, either future work or technology, we'd love to hear what you're... Uh well, some of the stuff which I'm a bit kind of geekily excited by um, is some of the stuff that's a bit more boring, actually. It's things like in, in manual labor, and it's look at the things like the exoskeletons that are coming out. Uh, there's some fascinating stuff that I only saw in CSA with the, um, with the Sarkos, the actual superhuman thing that makes you lift loads of stuff. Have well, a look at the exoskeleton. Yeah, I'll have a look at that. That it's sounds just, great. It's just nuts. And then the other ones in a much smaller way, which is we've got to really think of when we start doing smart cities and 5G and other things, and also smart health and all these things, how do we start using this data in clever ways for ourselves? How do we change ourselves, not just let technology do it? And we've got to be sometimes a bit more wary. Be digitally mindful, basically, not only what we're putting out, but also what we're taking in. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise, we will, uh, we will be controlled by forces outside of ourselves, and uh, that could be a danger for us all. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Dan, for coming on the show. It was really great talking to you. Um, as ever, if you want to get in touch with the show, um, we are on northwestvibepodcast at gmail.com and all the usual places, LinkedIn and so forth. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.